Well, friends, we are officially in a new season as of this week. I wish it was spring, but apparently it's not because somebody ordered in more snow and we're not done apparently. Who was that? Can we? Yeah. Uh -huh. Thank you for that. No, we're in a new season. We're in a season of Lent. Uh, we kicked it off on Wednesday. A crew of us gathered to mark, to observe Ash Wednesday, um, which marks the beginning of a 46-day period of time that leads up to Easter. This season is called Lent. It's been practiced by Christians all over the world and as far back as the 4th century, if you can believe that. So 1,700 years of Christians have practiced Lent. I have, I'm bringing it to Kitsap House and leading us in Lent um, for a couple reasons. Honestly, it's just my personal bent in some ways. I grew up in a Lutheran tradition, and I find that... Um, Following a calendar year, a liturgical year for the church is very soul-shaping. So in a lot of ways, our year begins by anticipating the death of Christ through Lent and his resurrection on Easter, and then Pentecost and ordinary time, and then the lead up to the coming of Christ at Christmas, but also anticipating his return. All of that is extremely soul-shaping, and it's something I want to gift to this community. But I also bring Lent in this particular moment in history, in time, um, because of the needs I see in this rising generation, particularly for rootedness, for connection, for a sense of belonging to a purpose and a meaning that's much bigger than themselves. You'll see that in how many, um, in all the DNA testing, the 23andMe, anybody else into that? Um, I haven't done it, but enough people in my family have that I feel like I got, I got it, right? Um, or uh, you'll also see it in the names that are being given to kids. If they're not horticulture names, they're like great-grandparents' names, right? Because we're looking for this rootedness, this connection. There's been um, a significant move and desire for that. And those of us who follow Jesus find our primary belonging and connection in the story of Jesus, right? And one of the ways that we can point to this rising generation and let them know about the truth of the gospel is its steadfast endurance through thousands of years. The faith of Adam, past Abraham, to Jesus, to us, it is time-tested, and it is worthy of sinking our own roots into. So I, we enter into Lent, um, I, I think primarily for two reasons at this, at this moment in time. One is to prepare our hearts for um, the crucifixion of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, that that season of Easter would really mean something for our souls. And we also do it as a community to remember that Kitsap House is a part of a global and an eternal movement of the proclamation of the gospel. So we're going to spend Lent very intentionally. We're going to do it in a, sh we're going to spend all of Lent, these 46 days, in a very short book of the Bible that's the story between Jonah and God. 
So this is a real story. It really happened about 800 years before Christ, B.C. Um, and I made you, we made you bookmarks for this series. They're in your seats. And the reason we made bookmarks is because Jonah is remarkably difficult to find in your Bible. Even if you like memorized a song when you were a kid, it's still hard to find because it's about two pages. So I want to recommend to you, if you actually carry your Bible with you, Go ahead and look at the table of contents. Find the page number for Jonah. Just spare yourself looking for it. And go ahead and stick your bookmark in it um, and hold on to it. Or take it home with you because um, we're going to use this in more than one way. So, so let me just give you a preview for this whole series of Lent. This whole book, this whole story about Jonah and God is really a story of God's compassion his incredible, steadfast compassion as God moves toward people who are in trouble and even toward people who are evil. Now that's not our human nature, is it? We tend to move away from people who are in trouble and especially those who we would label as evil, right? But God is not like us. He is relentless, not only in pursuing people in trouble, but even pursuing the people who run away from people who are in trouble. He's got compassion for the whole gamut. Thanks be to God. And this little story packs a punch in extending to us, reminding us of God's steadfast love toward the whole world and it catches us up in that. When we think about people who are in need, um, we could say that those are people who are lacking. Lack, lacking is the name of our sermon series. Um, but with Jonah's, it's very interesting, with Jonah's story, flips it on the head as so much of the gospel does and it, switch it switches it from who you think is lacking, right? Um, to see that often it is the people who are following God who are actually lacking the most. So we're just, we're going to own up to some things in Lent and you know what? We're going to feel good doing it. How's that? We're going to own up to the ways that we are lacking as a people, particularly how we are lacking perspective, compassion, prayer, zeal, love, and celebration. We're going to own up to our lack in a practice known as Lament. Lament is a word that means passionate sorrow. It's a way of grieving where we fall short. And if that doesn't sound appealing to you on the surface, uh, let me just take it a step deeper. The reason that uh, lament is appealing to me is because I want more. I want more of God. I want more love. I want more joy. And the only way to acknowledge that there's space for more of God is if you acknowledge that you are lacking. This morning I watched Kirsten try to fill up how much water we needed for the coffee, right? We needed to see how much space there was left to know just how much coffee we could make. I had to mark it. Lent is the marking of where we are lacking not for the sake of making less of ourselves, but for noticing how much more space there is for God to move in. And God bless Jonah. He is going to give us all kinds of ways for noticing how much more space there is for the God of compassion to move into our hearts and into our lives. Because we want more of God. 
Okay, so let's move. We're going to dive right in to Jonah. We're just going to catch the first couple of verses. If you don't already have your bookmark there, or you can pull it up on your phone, or Anna's going to have it on the screen. But hear God's word and let him talk to us about um, our lack of perspective, about his compassion, and about how he moves toward trouble. Okay, here's God's word. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But, you gotta love a but, right? (laughs) The very beginning of the story. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. I'm going to say this is the word of the Lord and I invite you to respond. Thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, let me pray. Oh, Jesus, you know how much we are like Jonah and we know how much you are like the Father. You are, you are the Father incarnate. Would we see your compassion? And Lord, would we see your compassion for us? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, anybody already amused by Jonah? <laughs> Any of you ever felt like him? Oh my goodness. Okay, today's verses, they're going to call us to move toward trouble with God. We're going to move toward trouble with God. I'm going to break that down for us and pray that as we are in the scripture, it actually breaks us open and prepares us uh, for the practice of lament as we lament our lack of perspective. Because just like Jonah, we tend to move away from trouble and away from God. So we're being called with Jonah to move. We're being called to move with God. God spoke to Jonah and said, get up and go. You got somewhere to be. I want you to move close to a particular place and a particular people, God says, a people that have come to God's attention. You can't sit still 100% of the time and be like God. There is a place for be still and know that I am God. I saw you mark that, Charlie, in the family Bible, and I can't like, get away from it. And yet, the intention for being still is to know that he is God. And when you know that he is God, like Jonah did, there comes a time where it's time to go <laughs> and be like God, move toward trouble as God did. Get close to people who don't know who God is yet. So particularly, God is calling Jonah to get up and move toward trouble. I love the Hebrew expression here when it says um, that their evil has come up before me. That Hebrew expression is literally, it has come up in front of my face. Their trouble has come up in front 
of my face. God tells Jonah there's a great city in Nineveh and it's evil has come up in front of my face. My seminary professor, Douglas Stewart, and um, this is the verse we, we like covered Jonah in like less than half a lecture. And I remember him landing all of it on this. On, um, there's a broad range of definition for this word evil. It wasn't just evil, though it certainly was that. <laughs> Nineveh was an evil city. It was the red light district of that part of the world. It was a violent city. The king was known for flailing people open um, when he was upset, you know. So it was a mess. The city really was a mess. It really was evil. But evil also means trouble or calamity or disaster. So this great city, great not only because of its um, position within Syria, not only great because of how many people lived there, also great because of how important we're going to see that it is to God. That city was full of not only evil, but it was troubled. It was in a place of military weakness. Syria had been weakening and was kind of zeroing in on this one city that was left. There was recently a natural eclipse that is recorded in history at this moment that Jonah is coming. So the people who live there are terrified because they can't explain an eclipse. They're in a, a military defeat moment, right? They're being led by people who are, um, are full of evil morality, right? And so they're scared. And that trouble has come up in the face of God. Our God is not a God who sits back on his heels, who set the world into motion and then like, wee, let's see it go. You know, he's watching and moving. And when trouble comes up in front of his face, he's concerned. So where is there trouble today that you think might be up in God's face? What is he noticing happening around the world? What does he see and like focus in on while we're swiping right or changing the channels? I'll just admit, I've been really um, not wanting to look at the footage from the Turkey and Syria earthquakes. I just haven't felt like it's done my soul any good to watch people be pulled from the rubble when I live in Port Orchard and what can I do about it, right? But this week I've had a conviction that that trouble is up in God's face. And he's noticing it. He is a compassionate God who, who notices what's going on. So I'm lacking some perspective about what God's doing in the world. Just by the way, what I choose to look at, to focus on, when God has all of this up in his face. And you don't need to have the global news on <laughs> to know trouble that's up in God's face, do you? You just got to drive around right? Um, when our shalom table met last week, I asked the question, is there a gap in knowledge or, or experience or resource that we see in the congregation at large? In other words, where are we lacking perspective as a church? We're only one month into being officially Kitsap House, but even from the get-go, can we, can we already anticipate that there's a way that we're lacking perspective on what God is doing in the world. And here's what that crew of 20 or so people said. So th they brought up the racial and economic gaps that appear in our country at large. And how little of them we can see in Port Orchard if we're not intentional with the eyes to see what's going on in our county. 
Um, we talked about ministry to teens. How many teens don't have adults in their lives? Um, Leticia, the restaurant owner of Taqueria 2.0, she pointed out how significant the issue is of homelessness, just right even here at the mall. Um, so these are some of our troubles. And this passage from Jonah assures us that the God who had his eyes on the troubles of Nineveh, that great city, he has our troubles up in his face too. And he is the kind of God who doesn't just see it and sit back. He's the kind of God who sees it and tells his people to go and move toward the trouble. So he says, arise and go, move toward it. And he says, call out against that great city. How are we to understand what it is to call out against trouble? Well, to call against or to preach against, whatever kind of word your, your version there wants to use, is about giving a warning cry. It is God's pattern of behavior. It's his way. This is what he does over and over again. He, when he sees trouble, when he sees people not following his way, he sends a warning cry ahead of time to let people know that they have an opportunity to repent, to turn and go another direction. And God is consistent. This is one of the reasons I love the book of Jonah, because he's consistent to give warning cries both to his own people, the Israelites, and to people who don't know him, who don't traditionally, aren't rooted in the story of Adam and Abraham and Israel and all the things. He, um, he speaks to them. So this is an important perspective to get here at the beginning of Jonah. Jonah, or God calls Jonah to leave the northern palace of the Israelites, okay, where he's been prophesying to this king. Um, he's actually one of, he's listed as one of the evil kings, King Jeroboam II, and go and preach to his enemy, the evil Nineveh. So shockingly, um, in Jonah's history and preaching to his own people in the northern kingdom, he's only had positive messages to give the king. Um, there's like a mini story in 2 Kings 14 that talks about Jonah. And Jonah, um, it, it tells us that Jonah was there by God's message, like God called him to do this, to go and tell King Jeroboam, the evil king, that God's favor is with him. And that as Syria weakens, he is to go and extend the borders of Israel back to where they were originally. So, um, so Jonah gets to go hang out in the palace of Israel with all the powerful people who are evil and tell them that God's favor is with them in this season. Go ahead and go extend your, your boundaries, right? But there's two other prophets who live at the same time as Jonah, and they didn't get to give the positive messages. They were the warning cry people. So they were the ones that God sent to tell the Israelites, these are, this is Amos and Hosea, that God is calling out against you in this generation. So he, the, Amos and Hosea get to go and tell everybody that they're greedy and lazy and that they're neglecting the poor and neglecting the worship of God. And the time has come to turn or God is going to bring his destruction to Jerusalem. So God has a pattern of sending a warning to his people, right? So God sees people not acting like him and all that trouble gets up in his face. 
And then he sends messengers to move toward the trouble, move toward the evil, and tell them that God is a God of repentance, that he turns and goes the other direction. We've actually talked about this recently. If you can pull back new sermon series, but just pull back not too far away ago. Um, after the prophets, God sent Jesus himself in the flesh to come with a message to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. A warning cry. Judgment's coming. Repent. Now we have, because Jesus died and rose again, by his spirit, his spirit is the one who convicts us. I told you a couple weeks ago that when Jesus gets close, his presence messes with us, right? Gets all up in our business. His spirit's like a sword that divides in our hearts, demonstrates to us what our motives are. The grace of God to us living in this generation is we have the power of the Spirit not only to repent, but actually be transformed and changed. Thanks be to God. We get to live on that side. But the message is the same. Repent. This is not the way of God. God is coming close to you. He loves you. He's in compassion toward you. He sees the trouble that you're in and he's moving. Well, guess who doesn't like this message? Jonah doesn't like it. Jonah likes the God's going to prosper you even though you're evil. Go ahead. Extend your boundaries. God's with you. Oh, he liked that message. But when God comes to give the message of warning, you better repent not, to his, not even to Jonah's race of people, but to his enemy, Jonah, he gets up and moves all right, but he moves in the opposite direction. Jonah 1 verse 2, let me just remind you what it says. But Jonah rose to flee from the presence of the Lord. Okay, Hebrew nerds, rejoice. Here's your moment. It says Jonah rose up to flee from God's face the same word trouble is up in God's face Jonah thinks he can run away from God's face so hear the repetition as Jonah's story gets retold to us about how um how uh what's the word I'm looking for this <laughs> he can't do it okay so it says he uh he rose up right and then he went down to Joppa. He was supposed to go up. He went down to Joppa, found the ship going to Tarshish, and he went down into it, right? And he says he did that in order to flee from the presence of the Lord. And then verse 3 ends with, away from the presence of the Lord. He was bound and determined. But is it even possible to get away from God's face? Can you do it? Listen to this. Jonah would have grown up with King David's songbook. So the book of the Psalms. He would have sung these songs. So he would have sung Psalm 139. Where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from your spirit? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I go to the depths, even there, your right hand guides me. Oh, he's going to learn this really intimately in these two pages <laughs> of the book of Jonah. And still he attempts to go down and to flee from God's face. Do we ever try to do this? 
I couldn't think of a time that I like literally attempt to flee God's face, but I've daydreamed about it recently, to be honest. Um, one of my first friends that I met in Port Orchard um, in mid-2020, I'm not, I'm not saying that they were fleeing the presence of the Lord, okay? Just saying it felt inspirational in this moment, okay? So I'm not, I'm not judging. But they decided to move mid-2020 out of state, and I still follow them on Instagram. And I found myself in the situation with an attic full of mold, right? With no school in session because of the snow, just daydreaming, right? About some cushier options maybe, right? In the world. So maybe we haven't directly fleed the presence of the Lord, but let's just be honest and compassionate with one another about the daydreaming opportunities of fleeing. I, and in the moment, I confessed out loud. It was very, I actually think there's power in confession. So I confessed the temptation out loud to Larry. He immediately preached to me the foolishness. <laughs> of fleeing God's call to even our particular neighborhood. It's so true and um, took all the power out of that daydreaming. So encourage that practice to you. Jonah didn't want anything to do with moving toward an evil king and he was foolish enough to think that he could move away from God. But it was more than that for Jonah. We're going to see at the end of chapter four that his motive was just so off. Um, he, um, he doesn't want people he doesn't like to get to have God's love and compassion. And he even says it. So he doesn't move toward trouble with God. He moves away from trouble and away from God. Friends, will we be a people who move toward trouble or will we be a people who move away from trouble? I hope we're going to be a people who move toward trouble with God. I hope we're a people that because of our experience of God's compassion, because we've been a people who I hope have repented. If this is all new to you, let me just let you know that there is a tremendous grace-filled invitation to you from the Lord to turn and go another direction, to follow his way of compassion. His spirit will make it possible for you. You don't even have to drum up Love for people the way that Jonah was being asked to. The Spirit will actually infuse you with love for people to move toward people with God. We got good news for those of us who find loving difficult. Mm. And I don't exclude any of us from that. So we're going to move toward trouble with God, especially in this season of Lent. And we're going to do so through a practice of lament. And specifically for this first week, we're going to lament our lack of perspective. Each week we're going to see God's heart to redeem the trouble of the world. He doesn't just want to call it out. He wants to change it. Oh, I'm so glad I follow that kind of a God. So we're going to find our own words to participate with God in his lament. So uh, you can go ahead and look at that bookmark that you've got. The back of that bookmark is a fill-in-the-blank, really, uh, for a prayer of lament to find our own words. We're going to lean in. The, all of Lent, I told you, is about anticipating Christ's death and resurrection. Well, out of what, like, for what reason did he die? Because of his great love for us, right? And so as we lean into lament, we're going to ask God for more of his love, which is going to lead us to lament. 
the people who do not know him, and the trouble that we are all in. Jesus, we do not end with as a, we do not mourn as those who are without hope because we believe that Jesus has made available to us a holy resurrection. His resurrection was a prototype from the resurrection that we will all experience, not only in our own bodies, but in the entire creation. Um, we'll experience a new heaven and a new earth. So we don't have to be scared or run away. We know the end of the story. And our lament is like the but that begins verse 2, where we know a whole new story is going to follow and we want to participate in it. Jesus found his own lament, and his lament was a passionate sorrow for people that he loved so dearly that they were worth dying for. So let me just get real practical. This is not my normal way of preaching, so let's see how many of you guys enjoy this and how many of you are like, meh, don't, don't mess with my schedule so much. Get back to just telling me the gospel and asking me to believe. We are, we're going to ask God to give us a new perspective this week, which means we're going to have to seek a new one. We're going to have to seek a bigger perspective because there's all kinds of things that are in God's face that we don't normally see. Now, in 2023, it's a lot easier than if I were preaching to you as Jonah in 2800, right? Like, we've got the internet. You can actually see the whole world in a given moment. So here's, gonna, here's what I'm going to do to challenge us to move toward trouble with God. Challenge us to lament our lack of perspective. Two very practical things. One is that we're going to look at the news this week. And the second is that we're going to lean in locally. So there's going to be different tactics for the news based on whether you're a news avoider or a news junkie. Okay, so I'm going to talk to the avoiders first because I feel you. So you're my people. So you're a lot easier for me to think about. So I would just rather not know. So that's just, that's just the way I am. So I'm going to, us avoiders, we're going to think about where we normally spend our time, what do we normally look at, and we're going to invite the news into that space, okay? So I really like Instagram. It's just the way I am. So I'm going to make it a discipline this week that every time I open Instagram, the first account I'm going to look at is World Relief. So at World Relief is their handle if you're an Instagram person. They're one of our outreach, our neighborhood outreach partners. And this week, as I did this, looked at World Relief first, guess what was all up in my face? Turkey and Syria, right? And not just Turkey and Syria generally, but people's names. A father that had been reunited with his child named, right? So I'm going to let it get up in my face. For the news junkies. Here's what I want to challenge you to. You can tell me whether this works or not. You can call yourself out. Let me know if you've got a better idea. But I want to challenge you to take in the news from multiple perspectives because we're lamenting our lack of perspective. And if you're a news junkie, you're probably getting your news from one source, which means you're getting it from one side. So just for this week, I just want to stretch you just a little bit. If you're a news reader, I want you to tag the website allsides.com. Allsides.com. Larry, let me know about this one this week. Give it a try. See what happens to your heart when you see news simultaneously from left, right, and center. So they'll, do the, they'll cover the same news moment and then give you three perspectives on it. So see what happens. If you're a news watcher on TV just this week, I want to challenge you to try to watch something like BBC News, like watch it from an international perspective. 
Just see what that does to your perspective on the world. Okay, that's our international. And then secondly, for all of us, I want to challenge us to move toward trouble with God locally. And I'm going to give you two very practical ways to do that. But if you have, you know, come up with your own ways, awesome. Just tell me. I'd love to hear what you end up doing. So first, if you drive the Bethel Corridor, you are directly encountering homelessness every day. You can't help it because you got to make sure you don't hit somebody on the side of the road, right? So just once this week, I want to challenge you to actually park your car and get out and face-to-face with somebody, hand over water or food or gloves. Just like let that person get up in your face. Like, let it be real to you, personable to you. The second option I came up with is to actually serve one of your actual neighbors. One of the things that was interesting at the Shalom table when I asked who is your neighbor, the four kids who were there immediately gave me the name of their street, right? And then all the adults, like, really thought about, like, what is my neighborhood, you know, right? But the kids were like, oh, the lady in the red house, like, next to me. Okay, I want you to serve an actual neighbor. Get face-to-face with them. Drop off a meal or flowers or, uh, you know, shovel their driveway, right? Our neighbors are in all kinds of calamity and hardship that we may not know about, right? But especially if you know a neighbor is single or a widow or someone who's ill, um, get right up next to them. So the, the evil and the trouble of the world is up in the face of God. Nineveh was up in his face. We are up in his face. And we will not run away. We're going to let it come up into our face as well. God is on a global and eternal mission to extend his shalom everywhere. It's like I had joy to the world in my head. Everywhere the curse is found, right? He's coming. Um, God's shalom is intended to extend here. And so we're going to proclaim and anticipate his, his death and the power of his resurrection until he comes again. And we're going to proclaim that by living into the places of death and trouble in our world and bringing restoration, bringing resurrection, life and hope, bringing love and compassion wherever we find it. So that's the story, friends, that I want to invite you to sink your roots into in Lent. Our God is a God of compassion. Trouble is up in his face. He didn't sit by. He sent his son to enter into trouble with us and to bring it to death once and for all that that his power of resurrection might break out wherever there is trouble. So let me pray for us. Jesus, we want the power of the resurrection. We want it more than we can know. Jesus, we want the resurrection power more than we even know to want it. It's like the water in the coffee pot that is just so low we can't even see how much left there is to fill up. Lord, would you expose us this week to trouble? Get it up in our face so that we might see how much more your shalom has to bring to the earth so that we can share your heart for compassion for ourselves and for our neighbor and for the world. Lord, we will not be content to only love what is easily lovable. Lord, we want to love as you love. Lord, we want to move toward as you move toward. And the only way we can do that, Father, is if we recognize that you moved toward us. We were the ones who were evil and in trouble, and you didn't leave us. 
you moved toward us. So Father, I ask for this practice of lament to be formative within us. That we would be a people who mourn, but not as those without hope. Jesus, meet us. In your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Larry's going to come up um, and actually lead us in our first prayer of communal lament. Have your um, bookmark in front of you. You might want it because come and see how Larry leads us in lament, how he fills in the blanks for us. And what I've already given you a lot of things to do this week. You gotta look at the news, you gotta lean in locally. But um, you're gonna need this daily prayer of lament as you let trouble get up in your face because you're gonna need an outlet for what to do with all the trouble that you see. And I pray that this, this way of praying would be a way of lament for us. So there'll be moments of response as we pray. So those moments of response will be up on the screen. And to begin, we'll say it together this. Together we say, to you, O Lord, we lift up our souls. So we pray to you, God, why are our neighbors living on the streets, God? Why are our families broken? Why are our social, government, and economic systems unjust? I invite you to reflect in silence and confession on this lament. God, I'm asking you to help us to see as you see. And so together we say, help us to see our neighbors who are homeless. Help us to see the racial and economic gaps in our community. Help us to see the teenagers in Port Orchard who need mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. And help us not to run away, but to move towards them. God, we remember when you saw us and moved towards our trouble. So I invite anyone to respond by praying a simple prayer of thanks for times when God moved towards your trouble, out loud or whispered. We'll finish by praying together. We say together, but for you, O Lord, do we wait. It is you, O Lord, our God, who will answer. Amen. You have been listening to the Kitsap House podcast sermon series, a Kitsap House production. 
We are located in Port Orchard, Washington, with in-person worship every Sunday at 1730 Southeast Mile Hill Drive inside the Raw Gym in the Town Square Mall. Services are 10 a.m. For more information, go online to kitsaphouse.org. Don't forget to subscribe and tell a friend. Thank you and God bless.